Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Always some fascinating stories come from this guy who is a noted architect in the New York City metro area. He's also a guy who knows everything about tennis, so much, in fact, that he was a tennis pro way back in the day. We stumbled upon that uh, a number of podcasts ago and and been talking about some of the amazing things that happened early in his career, his tennis career, which then pivoted over to the, the architecture side. He's Mr. John Riggio, and he's back with us. Hi, John. How you doing? Good. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Yeah, last time we, we left off right around the records that you had, your tennis records, back when you were in your 20s. Tell us about some of the comeback record. That was huge. Yes. The next record that I recall was, this is the number six ATP record. And uh, I was able to obtain the record in the most comeback wins also. And this is when my opponent was able to win the first match of a set. I wouldn't just lose the set. I was very difficult to beat, and I was able to come back and win the remaining matches to win the whole the whole match. I would win the remaining sets, and this uh, turned into be another ATP record. And this is uh, my coach had kept a uh, account on these type of records and told me about it. And uh, this this is another record. So. Not only I was able to win the on the the other record I discussed the number first record of of when I get ahead two points I don't lose the match and then this is when I would lose say the first match I would still have the ability to come back and win the whole match anyway winning the remaining sets so that is my next record that I was able to achieve and I was told this. Usually I was told these records at the end of the season, after the season is over. And I wasn't really aware that this was even happening when I was playing tennis. I was just concentrating on my tennis game. But then I was able to achieve these different records. Hmm. Amazing. Um, and when did the, the, the comeback record, when did that take place? You were, what about age? That was, I was um, over 18 it was about 1986. In fact, I probably have more records than just 10 records. I have one administrative record, uh, so that would make it like 11. Then I have the the penalty with the Japanese team is another world record. And I think I obtained some other records, too, when I was playing with the Japan team. But the records of playing like the most games in a short time is certainly a record. It was such a record that it was really considered uh, an abuse. It was really... Mm. that was uh, a, a problem and i think one lesson about playing pro tennis is they do have a set number of days and hours of playing pro tennis now a lot of this type of pro tennis has to do with also being a young player you have, you know be in great shape playing but the official number of days and hours you play are usually three days a week and a maximum of five hours of tennis playing. And that is when you are playing official tennis. Now, you can play after hours or on the side on your own, but that is sort of the, the, the pace of the number of matches and number of hours you're supposed to play. They don't want the players to get uh, worn out or play too many hours. Many times I would play past those number of days and hours. When I was on Court 33, I was always playing a certain number of days 
and I would would stay there more than five hours. And uh, so I, I remember one player uh, from Italy, Miss Raffaella Reggie, she was always seeing me play like more than the, the number of hours. She was always pointing it out to me that I was on the court so many hours and 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 stay, she was able to see that. And uh, so that was one player I, I made friends with. Uh, she was a, a friend of mine. And um, I used to talk to her. I think since she was from Italy, I helped her out, uh, play at some of the local courts that were safe to play at. I, I recommended some courts locations just to play for fun after hours and things like that. And uh, so, but that is uh, sort of what was going on with the, the number of hours of playing and things like that. Would there be times and and I, I get it. You had such a passion for tennis, still do. Were there times where you were playing and didn't even realize how much time went by? You're just doing your thing. You're playing, having a great time. It's like, oh my gosh, it was. I've been playing for seven hours. Did that happen? Yes, I think uh, since I was young and um, able to play a lot of tennis, I was in great shape. I told you I had a physical examination with my sport doctor. I was the number one in his career of. Hmm. You know, playing in shape. And so even at the national tournament, instead of just playing one match on Saturday, I used to play two. So I can, I would come home and I would tell my mother, you know, I won two matches today. So I was able to really play more matches. And that that went all the way to a maximum of playing like seven matches when I played the Pacific and the Japanese team uh, in particular. I, I played like seven matches in a day. I could win seven matches in a day was really... So it slowly increased from maybe playing one match in a day to I ended up playing so many extra matches. I could play maybe seven matches in a day. And that would take wow. like a whole afternoon, you know, starting at 7.30 in the morning. And then it would I would leave when it's starting to get dark. It might be like 7.30 at night. So I was mm. playing like a whole, whole afternoon. You've mentioned before about acting class or actors playing tennis and how the whole acting thing is very beneficial to to the game. Can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, so when I was playing with the, the top pro players, a lot of the pro players, um, they weren't really necessarily big entertainers, but what they were doing was a lot of them were, were either training themselves with some acting classes, or they really had like a hobby or a side job doing things like acting, live stage acting, they might even meet in like movies or things like that. So they were involved with acting. And uh, from talking to different people, they were saying that that could help because tennis, as you start to play and you're on television, it's a little more to entertaining. You have an entertainment contract. And um, so that gives you some help taking acting and they were suggesting some things like that of acting class and um but some of them were more involved with taking acting as a hobby too they did it as a as a side thing that they'd like to get involved with and that that is another thing that was happening with some tennis players hmm. ha did you ever take any acting lessons any classes no i didn't really bother with too much acting i just hmm. uh I, I just concentrated on my tennis playing and I didn't really get into acting as a hobby or anything. Gotcha. Let's talk about the sponsors. The sponsors pretty much took care of everything when you were playing, right? You didn't even have to, there was no payment entry fee or anything for a match or, or, or a tournament. They took care of all of it. 
Yeah, so I think one thing about my tennis career that is really important to know is that my tennis career wasn't really self-guided by myself. A lot of tennis players, they're told once they get going, they, they can go find a tournament, pay maybe $1,500 entrance fee, and then they could, maybe they could win the tournament. Hmm. But the, I think the, there's some serious problems with that. One of them is that those tournaments aren't based on the ATP tour, which is the major leagues of tennis. And so to play those is really just like in the wind. And uh, I personally, I don't think it has that much weight playing those kind of tournaments. There's no big money or anything involved, no big television, no ESPN or anything, world television. But a lot of people do that. They even put those tournaments on their player card. Some players, mm. some, so if you read a, a player's card, some of the tournaments, they really just went, paid the fee, and they won won the tournament themselves, and then and then they put it on their card. But, but that is like a different style of playing. I wasn't playing like that. I, when my playing was going, I had sponsors that were running all my matches, running the ATP, keeping me in the ATP tour, playing a lot of matches with other players, moving up in rank. And and that is how I always played. So I never played uh, where I went and paid uh, a f- entrance fee of, say, $1,500 and then give, g- gave it a try to win. I really would never played like that. And uh, I think looking back at it, it wasn't wrong because I, I could see all kinds of problems could start to happen that you're playing without permission, things like that. If, if if you are playing on your own and somehow it, it, you do not have a active contract with the ATP, you can get fined three hundred thousand dollars. Wow! That is they they have all kinds of things like that. So playing in there, they're taking all your chances. So when I was playing, I was they were playing very strict, and and I think I had said before that if if for instance my tennis contr- my my tennis uh, ATP ranking needed to go to court, that it had uh, had to stop for a minute. I'd have to hand in all my uh, all my my sponsors advertising and just walk away from the court and not play at all. And it was very serious because this is uh this really is a very serious pro sport business. If I was to to play after the point that the ATP said I cannot I cannot play without getting further approval. They can get fined. My sponsors get fined. They the fine can come out to three hundred thousand dollars or more. It's a very serious business. Can so, you just you know we we've talked to ATP and some of the other tennis leagues. Can you give us the the bigger ones that um, you know uh, either you played in or just in the world of tennis? So what are the other ones? We have the ATP and the differences between them. What's another tennis league that's big? Well, the ATP is the biggest league. That is okay. the major league. The minor leagues is the ITF. Okay. Yep. You and mentioned that before. So when I was young, I played right past the ITF. My playing was good enough. I didn't have to play any ITF. I went right past the ITF and played the ATP. I think over the years, knowing players, some ATP players do play the ITF on their own anyway. They they're able to do it. They they know about all the different tournaments they have in ITF, and some of them do play. So that's like playing majors and minors at the same time. Some people do that, but I never did. I only played the top league. The other leagues, other than ATP and ITF, are really the um, the USTA, which is like a club league, mm. which is everyday club league. Anyone could join, and they usually can you can find your level and play and play tournaments. 
you can start off at level one and play tournaments at level one. So, uh, so that is really the the only leagues they have. They Where- also have independent tennis. They any any club or um, a group of tennis players can they can put together a, a tournament anywhere. It doesn't even have to be part of any of the leagues. They could have their own club tournament, and um, they could they could play a, a tournament. They could get any kind of people to play and have a prize of, of playing and things like that. Of course, it isn't considered pro tennis, so there isn't any uh, official money generated, and that's that's all it is. So that would be considered like club-level tennis. When we, when we look at uh, Wimbledon, let's say Wimbledon, what is that connected to? Is that ATP or that's completely different? It is ATP tennis, yes. Okay, gotcha. Wow. In fact, uh, the London Queens I was talking about is really a – a higher level match, more like American Airlines match, or mm. Rolling Garris, Manhattan Open, things like that. What about um, like the U.S. Open? Same ATP? It is the ATP, yes. Got it. Okay. Yeah, just got a better understanding of, of I, I thought there were more larger leagues, but ATP is really the top. Yes, ATP is is the top league, and uh, and then I think uh, like from uh, my description of each tournament, I think you get an idea of the the different kinds of tournaments. Some tournaments are really the highest level playing; they're generating a lot of money, and um, some tournaments, even though they might not be the um, the 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 main line of tennis playing a lot of them do get attention there are different tournaments that do get a lot of attention mm. and things like that so, uh, so but a lot of my tennis playing is really was based off my sponsors if they told me to play anywhere i can just go there and play i did ha- play on uh, different locations outside of my own tennis center for a while i think i discussed that and and so i can go and play anywhere and if they tell me to play at a certain location, I can go and play there. It doesn't bother me at all. So that's that's really one part of my career was just based on playing uh, the tournaments that they had available for me. And the, the tournaments were really the highest level. They were really generating the most money. It was, uh, it was very serious pro tennis. When you look back at those years when you were 18, 19, in your low 20s, if you could – and I always say everything's a learning – experience you know it's part of life you you never look back and say i should have this i should have that but if you could have changed something within your tennis career early there what would you have done you know if you've looked back saying you know i probably should have maybe went in that direction or in in that direction anything stand out in your mind um no i i don't think there's there's too many things i could really have adjusted in the in my tennis career uh there's there's i think there's all kinds of different things um i think i had the big advantage of holding my own court but i think a lot of times it always came to maybe uh, playing in other locations moving to other locations some people take the chances they move to another country for a little while and see if that helps their career out and things like that and so that there's things like that mm. would have been any matches that you you look back and say yeah i should have played in that one but I think I think one thing about my career, I think a lot of it also was growing and and learning and moving up to such a high level. My contract level went all the way up to one hundred million dollars. <throat> but I think um, a lot of times, I think with those different things, was able to put together all the different people to 
to to get the most out of the tennis playing and like things like promoters um and uh agents things like that to play the tennis and i think having having everyone together to to move forward like that would work better it was just it was taking me some time to to get all the different people to really help with my career and and really move up in 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 tennis and then we were, we were doing all kinds of things i think like even like the tv station starting over channel two sports mm. and then eventually moving up to international television espn television things like that so that is some of the things um that we uh, i was moving up through um uh, for a while I, there was some promoters that were involved in my tennis at sudden each there was a promoter that they did have working on my tennis for a while and i think one interesting thing about the the promoter was they got into this game of putting words into like sport advertisements sport uh newspapers things like that and they were communicating back and forth with other other sport hmm. players but in fact i wasn't the one really directly doing this they were they you know that was happening through promoter so that is one interesting thing that was also taking place did you why don't we talk about um because i don't think we really went down this road um injuries how about injuries over the years while you were playing tennis did you have any serious injuries any reoccurring any any issues along the way well, I think when I was younger, I started off getting basic injuries, like twisting my ankles, tennis elbow, hitting the racket onto my knee, all kinds of things like that. And with those injuries, I was able to heal from all those injuries. They turned out to be like learning in this injuries. Whenever I made those injuries, I went to my doctor. I was able to get the information of what the injury was, what they were all about. So say if I twisted my ankles, the answer was to put ace bandages on my ankles and really learn not to hurt my ankles anymore. And that, that is really was the best way to solve my problems. Was in, Also, if I was to get an injury, was to, to rest my injury and let it heal naturally was really the best way to do it. And so I learned from all those different things. And uh, like all the, even like the smallest things, like if you start to get a muscle pull in your legs, you're feeling, and usually if you just drank some water, was the easiest mm. cure for that problem. And then, the, and then I wouldn't get a muscle pull. So there was all those little things, really knowing your 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 body that you're not going to get injuries, and that helped me. And I was becoming like injury free. I in the end, I did not have any real injuries. Playing all those games, even with uh, Japan and the Pacific, I did not really have any new injuries. Mm. I was able to to keep where I did not have any more problems like that. Was there any point where you you were sidelined for a period of time due to like a major injury, or it's just those little nagging ones occasionally popping up? Yeah, every once in a while, I, I, if I had an injury, um, the idea was not to to ruin my tennis game and and things like that. And but I wasn't really delayed uh, in my tennis career from any injuries. Hmm. Some players did have much worse injuries and uh, could could stop their career, but uh, my injuries weren't that bad. I was able to recover from them, 
And also, I also was able to adjust my game so I wouldn't get the same injury over again. Mm. Especially like things like hitting the racket on my kneecap was really a, a problem. That was uh, I was able to to uh, figure out how not to hurt my kneecap anymore, and, and from there it was much improved. That that was uh, becoming a problem. Who was? I know you had a number of sponsors over the years. Who was your your best sponsor? I think I um, <clears throat> was playing the the best sponsor was really uh, uh, let's see. Um, well, I, I don't want to say because each each sponsor was really at uh, a different level. Okay. Uh, you know, somewhere I'm just starting off, just as like a preteen playing tennis, and uh, like a lot of things you couldn't I couldn't just rush in to just start to to play tennis everywhere and, and win the big tournaments. It took a while to really build up. Um, I, th- I think um, at one point, well, well starting off uh, the the first initial sponsor, I think, with um, uh, uh, Patrick Mulroney and the and the pro shop was obviously really the the biggest and and best opportunity because that was really gave me a whole future of playing pro tennis. If I did not get picked up by that pro shop. I, I don't know if I was ever going to make it into pro tennis. Wow. Because that set the stage for me to really get into pro tennis. And then the next one with with the pro shop was really picking up the two next sponsors were really Prince Rocket and then um, uh, Anthony Cambria, <clears throat> which I was able to sign on with the U.S. Tennis Center. So that is really set the stage. Now, I think uh, otherwise my other sponsors did very good. I think my other sponsors did very good. I think in – uh, then, then it ended up with the Japan team. We had those problems I discussed, and um, but otherwise things were going very good. I think the playing was very solid. There was all those those problems. And I think with Japan, what happened was um, uh, I was talking to them that they needed to get someone higher in their organization to make the matches, and uh, they uh, eventually sort of got a little frustrated and they just gave me the phone number to their corporate offices, the Mitsubishi offices, and I called them myself. Like, so I gave them my one-time call to see if I can stimulate something there. And I think I talked to their office and uh, gave them uh, my request to have someone you know, hire in the organization to run this whole thing. And I, and I told them because I called around to the coaches here in the U.S., and they're telling me the same thing that that their organization was not really high enough. I think I described before that uh, a lot of tennis playing is really watched by royal royals in Europe, and so that's really this the whole thing with the tennis is really going high up in the hierarchy. And uh, so when it came to tennis, I told the Mitsubishi Corporation I requested that they can get some people to. Uh, run the the matches that the the coaches were not successful in getting getting the ATP yeah. matches going. That's I just very simply asking that I so they could they could also maybe figure out some other ideas of how to get the matches going. But in fact, their their corporation really didn't take to that idea. I think that's the one key co- compared to all the other sponsors i had that when i gave them input about what's going on with tennis and how to get the atp tennis tournaments going they all listened to me and, and were very successful but uh the mitsubishi when i called them they really didn't take to that idea they had their own set ideas 
And uh, I think when I called the sponsors, they usually had an office of at least three tennis administrators there wow. that the, when I talked to them, when I would talk to them, maybe it was like on a conference call over there because I could hear them uh, talking. And uh, so, but they were, uh, weren't really understanding what was happening there. I got to tell you, John, I love, I love the, the, the background of this and the stories. It's almost like watching a production on stage and we're moving the, the curtain to see what's going on behind the stage. Uh, so like the, all the insight is uh, fantastic. We're just about out of time. I want everybody to know that they can find you at John Riggio. That's John R I G G I O.com, the website for architecture and uh, just an amazing tennis career and lots more, lots more stories to uncover. John, I appreciate it. Thanks for being here today. You're welcome. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Adopt U.S. Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you, A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.